everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yeah, that's us. That's right. That's right. That's right. What a fun and glorious day. It is the, yeah, it's a great day today. Today is a great day. This is episode 58, which is fun. 5-8. We are two episodes away from episode 60. Mm, we're getting there. We're almost there. Well, I don't know where we're going, but that's, we're almost there to 60. We've almost we made it. Some, we did. We did almost make it. We have some exciting episodes planned for the future. We do. We do. We are closer now to 100 than we were in our last episode (laughs) that's true (laughs) or then we are to zero i was gonna say so oh you know if like you put us on a if you put us on a chart we are closer to 100 now than being closer to zero then Ooh. uh so seth tell me what have you been playing recently uh so recently i've been playing a, a fun game where you murder people oh that sounds fun yeah it's it's called hitman 2 I think you might have been playing it recently one time. Hitman 2? Yeah, or Hitman. Well, I was playing Hitman 2 recently, but I was playing the Hitman missions because in Hitman 2, you can play the Hitman 1 missions. Because they're one game. Hitman it, yeah, 1 and Hitman 2 is... It's just like they, season they, 2. At some point in time, companies decided that it was easier to have people subscribe to something than it was to release something new entirely. Yeah. And Hitman true. is one of those games. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so Hitman... Two, uh, the second season as it were, came out in November, started coming out in November of 2018. They are episodic in content, uh, though all of them have been released. There were there were two that were released more recently, though uh, I don't own them, so I haven't played them. Though maybe I'll pick them up. It's a hard thing for me to eat when it's like $15 for one mission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are just rough. Though, uh, so it's a, a a murder simulator. If you're not familiar with Hitman, <laughs> you play as a Hitman. The, the exact thing Joseph Lieberman warned us about. It's true. It's true. That was a callback to our episode 47, uh, where we talk about the most controversial episode, Night Trap. Yeah. Or the most controversial episode. The most controversial video game, Night Trap. Yeah. It's good stuff. It was good stuff. Though in Hitman, uh, you play as an assassin who is contracted by a company called The Agency. And you work with your handler named Diana to go and around and murder people. It involves costumes and accidental or purposeful murder. The game is structured in a mission format where you load into an open map with a bunch of objectives and sub-objectives, and you have to figure out the best course that you want to do. You could just walk up to your target and shoot them, but that you might encounter guards, and it might not be something that is clean. So you may lose, it scores you on how well you murder these people. Though there was a, a time, I was playing it around the holidays, the Christmas time, and I was playing the Wet Bandits level where mm. you have to go in and kill Marvin Harry. Marvin Harv. Marvin Harv, as they are robbing a mansion. I decided that I wanted to see if I could beat it in the quickest way that I could, so I just charged around and shot everybody. That's how you do it. I No, it was not, because I died. The guards killed me probably 
probably about 200 feet from the exit. Nice. I almost escaped, but instead I was killed. Which, I mean, based on the strategy that I went into, probably should have been the way that I should have gone. When I play Hitman, I tend to do things in a way, like, it's one of those games that when I play, I play with a live with your actions mentality. Basically, like, when I'm playing Hitman, if something goes wrong, I just deal with it until I die or, like, get a game over. I won't reset saves or anything. I'm just, like, have to deal with the consequences that of my actions. I also do that. I kind of play very opportunistically and uh, I think there was this one time that I was it was in a like a car show and there was like an office for where the car was being made or where the car was being shown and I killed somebody like a guard and I was dragging the guard across the office and I didn't shut the door and this other guard walks by the door and just happens to look into the room while he sees me dragging <laughs> this corpse across the floor so then he decided that he was going to attack me so i killed him in the doorway and that's where all the guards came and attacked me so then there was just this pile of bodies in the doorway and i was like i don't i don't think there's any way of recovering this at all yeah i've, I've had yes. a couple of games go that way and that is uh that is good old hitman nice uh, hopefully i think season three should be coming out in 2021 so i've been seeing hopefully... ads for it yeah, ooh, you know, if you see an ad for it, it's probably on its way. So, uh, Zach, what have you been recently been playing? I've recently been playing a game that I picked up in the Steam Winter Sale, and that game is Spark the Electric Jester, which is an action platformer uh, that is heavily inspired on some of the best classics from the 16-bit era from both sides of the aisle. Uh, so it, ha- it takes a little bit of Kirby, takes a little bit of Sonic the Hedgehog, well, a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog, a little bit of Rystar, which was a classic Sega game, kind of uh, combines them to kind of provide its own game. And it's a really nice game, really well designed, and uh, I really like the artwork in it. As the name suggests, you play as a character named Spark, who is an electric jester, being that he looks like a jester and has electricity powers. And you go around and you fight bad guys, mostly robots, and uh, you kind of develop new powers and you explore these big open levels. So uh, the game was developed by Philippe Deneluz and his company, Feppard Games. Deneluz actually had previously made Sonic fan games before he created Spark. So I'm familiar somewhat with the Sonic fan games. I've played a few of them he made one game called sonic before the sequel and he made a sequel to that called sonic after the sequel which take place before sonic 2 and after sonic 2 but uh sonic before the sequel takes place after sonic 1 and sonic after the sequel takes place before sonic 3 but yeah i like his fan games and i like spark the electric jester so your character can move kind of fast not as fast as sonic but pretty fast and uh you also have a staff with you where you can shoot like electric bolts of energy but you can also collect different powers so there's also like a wind power and there's like a, a spike power that you can collect what is spark i don't know Uh, Wikipedia calls him an electric jester, which I don't think is an animal, but he kind of looks like a hedgehog, but not. So today we are talking about a game uh, that is close to Seth and my uh, hearts in terms of uh, childhood memories. Seth has talked about it at least a couple of times. Our, Our father talked about it a bit. I haven't really talked about it too much, but it's, it's a game that I really like. And that game is Wolfenstein. We're going to Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein. Specifically, we're going to focus specifically we're going to focus on Wolfenstein 3D 
as there's been plenty of Wolfensteins, but we'll go into the history of the game as well. Yes, Wolfenstein uh, 3D is great. As uh, Zachary said, Zach and I both have separate but equal memories of Wolfenstein and us playing it. I know for a fact Wolfenstein was one of the first video games that I've ever played on the PC and was definitely the first first person shooter I played. And it came into our house because our father recovered it from his place of work, which we won't mention. (laughs) And then I found out that he recovered it. I don't know how I I just knew, right? So he brought it home and like I just had a sixth sense about me where I was like, ah, video games that I could play are in here in this you, house. You know what? I wonder if he like left it in the floppy drive or something. No, 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 no. He definitely didn't. No, no. I, re- I took it from the desk. Okay. But I think he was playing it and he like turned it off when I saw him originally playing it. And he was like, this is a violent game. You shouldn't watch me play it. Like, I think that's what happened. I think, I think he was playing it at one point in time. I saw him play it. He was like, this is not good for children your age and like turned it off or like exit it out and then he just put it in the place that i knew where they stored things which was we had a, a roll top desk and which i'm sure you're familiar with I, 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 I had it in my possession for a period of time yes it, i'm the only child who never has got it's always the middle child because sarah now has the roll top desk anyway this roll top desk I snuck in to my parents' bedroom, opened their roll-top desk, and took the Wolfenstein floppy disk and got it started on the computer, which I think based on the age that I'm remembering on, it was probably pretty impressive in its own right. And then I played some Wolfenstein, and I don't know if I saved or anything like that, but yeah, I played Wolfenstein, went around, shot Nazis. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Nice. Zach, what about you? What are your memories of Wolfenstein? I probably played it actually somewhat close to maybe Seth's the age Seth is remembering or maybe I was a little older but um I had a friend back in around the time I was in kindergarten and he had a copy of Wolfenstein on his family computer and I remember um at the time I was very familiar with Chex Quest which of course is a Doom clone and Wolfenstein was the predecessor to Doom but it does have a lot of similarities to Doom in terms of the like design of the UI and stuff like that you know it has that bar at the bottom of the screen where you have your character's face looking back and forth and it has the ammo counter and such and I remember my friend turning on Wolfenstein and I was like well this game looks a lot like Chex Quest I remember telling him that I was like this looks a lot like a game I really like and he was like you want to play and I was like sure and that's when I found out that this game wasn't you zorching Fleming lights back to their own dimension it was putting bullets inside of nazis um so kindergarten age zach was very excited by this new venture in gaming because my previous experience with games had no blood and now there was blood it was a it was a sure thing yeah i i think that's a good it's a good age to be introduced to wolfenstein kindergarten how old are kids in kindergarten i don't even know it's like what maybe six six or seven five? seven or eight six or seven sure. six or seven i don't remember so zach why don't you give us the history of wolfenstein yeah so to get into the history of wolfenstein the original castle wolfenstein actually came out in 1981 for the apple ii computer by muse software the game was later ported 
to MS-DOS, the Atari 8-bit family line of computers, and the Commodore 64. Muse was originally founded by Ed Zarin in August of 1978, and Silas Warner was his their first employee. Now, Silas Warner later went on to become the, the programmer for Castle Wolfenstein. Their first few projects of Muse were non-games. So this was like, they had Supertext, which was a word processor, App Pilot, which was a course writing language. That's a, that's a great, like knowing that these people will make Wolfenstein, Supertext and App Pilot have like an entirely different, like, I just picture just like World War II and fighting while trying to type. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. But they decided to get into video games when they saw that that market was growing and making money. And some of their early games included a 1978 title, Escape, with an exclamation point, and the 1979 Three Mile Island, which was a simulation game based on the actual Three Mile Island partial meltdown that occurred in 1979. <laughs> they were timely. <laughs> I have a fun fact about Three Mile Island. But the game or the the event? The event. Oh, okay. Though I kind of want to play the 1979 Three Mile Island simulation game. So... Our uh, our father back in 1979. He'll clarify this once he listens to this episode with us. But from my memory, my father during 1970, uh, your father as well. Yes. During 1979, was working for the state government as an intern for the subcommittee of environmental affairs. So Three Mile Island happened near Connecticut. So when it happened, the state and people from from the island decided that they would tell everybody nearby especially people who were on the environmental subcommittees of the various state governments be like call the state house you know we're having an issue so our father picked up the phone to be told about three mile island so he's one of the first people in connecticut to be told that three mile island was happening very exciting the game was three mile island the game was only on apple too but maybe i'll send dad a a link to play it on like archive.org and he can relive the memories oh that's i'm sure memories he'd love to relive so going back to muse and in their their games uh their game castle wolfenstein which came out in 81 was a stealth based action adventure shooter you played as an unnamed allied spy who had been captured and taken to the eponymous castle wolfenstein um he's been taken there to be interrogated so uh you escape and you kill nazis the game is played from a top-down perspective and the graphics for being an apple apple II game are incredibly simple your characters kind of look like just stick figures and the enemy characters are also stick figures but these ones have swastikas on them so that's how you know they're nazis in the game you could collect items such as food to heal yourself or other collectibles you can also disguise yourself as an enemy at certain points so that you can get past enemies without having to worry about being attacked or shot at. Kind of like Hitman. Yeah, like Hitman, except in the 80s and Nazis. Did it just put a uh, swastika on your little assy graphics? Yeah, so the like the graphics for the bad guys I think are colored like yellow because they're supposed to be brown shirts, and I think it just oh. I think it just changes you to a brown shirt. Like it just changes oh, you funny. to the, the their sprite. Oh, okay, that's funny. Uh, is it like is it like um like ZZT type graphics or is it a little more advanced than that? A little more advanced than that. Um, it actually kind of looks similar to the uh, arcade game Berserk. Oh, okay. 
These are pretty legit graphics. It's fine. You know what's going on. There's people on them. There's clearly drawn people. Yeah. After uh, Castle Wolfenstein was released, uh, a few years later, they decided to make a sequel called Beyond Castle Wolfenstein, which I guess would be a good name for a sequel because it is past Castle Wolfenstein. <laughs> it's right next door. It's nice. Right, it's right next door. Castle Wolfenstein 2. It's like the Death Star. Yeah. And that was released in 1984 by Muse for the Apple II and the Commodore 64 at the same time this time. This was also quickly ported over to the Atari's 8-bit family line and MS-DOS. The game is pretty much identical to the first game, but it does feature some updates such as the guards being able to utilize a pass system uh, where the player will be summoned by a guard to show the correct pass, which varies from floor to floor, almost like a key kind of thing that goes through. So you have to get the key, and if you don't have the right key, the guards would attack you. Uh, You could also bribe them if you didn't want to kill them if you didn't have the correct pass. Uh, You could also drag bodies from room to room and to hide them, or you could block passages with a body, which I don't think blocking a passage with a body is hiding it very well. No. Ah, we can't get down this passage. There's a a body. Wow, there must be somebody here. (laughs) I'm just imagining like a group of SS troopers walking down a hallway and there's a body lying down and they're like, oh no, we can't go this way. There's a body here. We got to go around. Maintenance, maintenance always puts these bodies up whenever they're cleaning the toilets. <laughs> at uh, at its peak, Muse Software did very well. Uh, it peaked at two million dollars per year in sales at one point in time. However, uh, in 1985, the company did file for Chapter Seven bankruptcy, and in 1987, it was legally disestablished. And at that point in time, since Muse Software owned the Wolfenstein IP, Wolfenstein was over, at least until 1991. Yeah, that's right. So now let's jump ahead to a different company. After the success of their Commander Keen series, id Software, which at the time was led by John Romero, John Carmack, and Tom Hall, were looking to create a new 3D game. Their first venture into 3D was Catacomb 3D, which was considered impressive. And Scott Miller of Apogee Software pushed the team to make a 3D shareware game that they could market as well as also potentially lead to selling. A few ideas were being passed around. One idea was a sci-fi game called It's Green and Pissed, which I think is the best name for a video game. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like uh, Catacombs 3D though. Kind of looks like if Wolfenstein 3D and a D&D game got together... And had a baby. It does. It does. It kind of plays like that too, I'll I'll say. I've played a little bit of it. So now, at one point during these different ideas, John Romero actually suggested that they create a 3D remake of the 1981 Castle Wolfenstein. The team really liked this idea and began working on the project. However... The team wasn't entirely sure that they could even use the name Wolfenstein. They had no idea about the IP's current status, nor how much it would cost. So they decided to come up with some alternative titles. One of those titles was How Do You Dusseldorf? Oh, that's a great one. There was Castle Hasselhoff, Tank You Very Much, and Deep in Germany. I feel like How Do You Dusseldorf and Castle Hasselhoff need to be made into games. 
I think so too. However, while these names were great, they really did want that Wolfenstein license. So the team contacted Silas Warner, who designed the original 1981 Castle Wolfenstein. And Warner told them that not only was Muse Software no longer in existence, but the trademark for Wolfenstein lapsed in 1986. So they bought it. The current owner of the trademark was some person in Michigan, <laughs> who I don't think was related to Muse Software. They just owned the trademark. So in my mind, like... I feel like trademarks should get passed down like royalty where it just keeps going on. And once, once there's no one maintaining it, it just gets passed on to successors. It just being like, here you go. This is your trademark now. So maybe one day I'll inherit a trademark. For fun reference, though, the, the team actually bought the license for about $5,000. Not bad for the name Wolfenstein. As the project began, John Romero and Tom Hall primarily worked on the gameplay and the aesthetics. Romero was quoted at the time as saying that he wanted the goal to be to mow down Nazis and have the feeling of storming a Nazi bunker to take down Hitler himself. Tom Hall was designing the levels, and he was also adding in collectible objects in the game such as treasure and food items that you could find scattered around. In Wolfenstein, you play as BJ Blaschkowitz, who escapes a Nazi prison in the titular Castle Wolfenstein. You go through level after level of maze-like areas killing Nazis, and in the end, you kill Hitler himself, who was wearing a mech suit. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, mecha Hitler. The game is played from a first-person perspective, and you just pretty much kill Nazis that stand in your way. Now, before the game was released... FormGen, which was a company that id Software was working with for distribution purposes, had some concerns. Mostly, they thought the game was a little too Nazi and a little too violent. So, the team decided to make it more violent and more Nazi. <laughs> in fact, they added in more skeletons, bloody walls, corpses, German screams, and a death cam that would play at the death of every level boss and would replay the death in slow motion in vivid detail. And FormGen said, all right, sounds good. And they sold it as is. They made zero changes to the game. Yeah, I, I feel like John Romero, John Carmack, and Tom Hall were like, ah, what's the feedback? They say it's too violent. Did we hear not violent enough? Well, then we'll fix that. What's even better is apparently it wasn't even them who initially responded that way. It was the guy from Apogee who was their like go-between, Scott Miller, who was like, I don't really like these guys at Form Gen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, <good. laughs> so. oh, good old Apogee. The So Wolfenstein released in a very similar way that Doom released, being that Doom was also done by id and came after Wolfenstein. So this is kind of how this kind of releasing of how they released Wolfenstein is kind of like why Doom was released in a similar way. And that way was through a shareware version of the first episode and then you having to buy the entirety of the game. So they say, hey, you get the first episode, you play that, and that's going to have a bunch of levels. And once you finish that episode, you'll want to play the other stories that essentially ship with it. And in order to pay, play those, you have to pay us. And they did that with Doom as well. I'm sure everyone everywhere has played the first story of Doom, but you may not have played the second one. <laughs> Because the first one is free. They actually were smart about it too, because not only did they include all the contact information for the complete package in the game, but also they released a retail-only prequel around the same time, so that if you really liked it, you could buy that retail-only prequel. And this is this is also in the 90s, so this is where, you know, you, you get a shareware version, and at the end, it comes up with a splash screen, which tells you how to mail in your money to get the disc 
to play the rest of it. And so it's just the kind of uh, fun things that just aren't around anymore. You don't see splash screens anymore that say, like, no. uh, here, write to us and buy this game, any- obviously, anymore. So that first episode of the shareware version and the original trilogy was was made available on May 5th of 1992. And it sold well so id software and apogee forecasted that their first month of sales would be about sixty thousand dollars and their first check came in at a hundred thousand dollars within the first month the game sold at a rate of four thousand copies a month and by the end of 1993 both wolfenstein 3d and the prequel the spear of destiny had sold 100,000 copies. By mid-1994, 150,000 shareware copies had been registered, and id sold another 150,000 copies of the Spear of Destiny at retail. So 300,000 copies of Wolfenstein sold within the span of May... uh, two years? Yeah, it's great. Though, despite the massive amount of sales, Wolfenstein was not without controversy. Because there is Nazi symbolism and the main theme, which was a rendition of Horst Wessellid, which is the Nazi anthem, Germany was not, they banned it. Germany is very anti-Nazis, they're very anti-Nazi symbols, so when Wolfenstein is like, hey, this is a game about Nazis, even though it's about killing Nazis, Germany still was like, no, no, no. Though, despite the restrictions... uh, Uh, German video gamers were still able to get the game via bulletin board systems, which were like old forums. Yeah, and reportedly, though... Um, I'm not exactly sure the source on this story. I just remember hearing it somewhere. They actually shared it under a false name. So the name Wolfenstein, it's German for wolf stone and reportedly they called it like like hound rock or something in german they just shifted the words around a little bit and that's what they distributed as so that anyone who was like from the german government patrolling the bulletin board systems or something wouldn't catch on that's funny so they just said it like in pig latin ixnay on the wolfenstein a they and the german government officials like ah no that's not wolfenstein (laughs) i just picture now like in late 90s german bureaucrats (laughs) using the internet and looking at bulletin board systems trying to find wolfenstein <laughs> um they should do a they should do a period drama for netflix yeah it should be like halt um, and catch fire but with germans <laughs> wolfenstein. the game actually has become one of the more heavily ported games ever there is a port for the super nintendo the atari jaguar the mac os the 3do the game boy advance the xbox through the xbox 360 the ps3 the ios the android and so on. I think it's, is it on the Switch? Not yet, but soon. Soon it will be. Yes. <laughs> I assume. It is, it, it do, it's not like Doom, though. Yeah, Doom is ported <laughs> to, like, printers and pregnancy tests. To this day, because it came out before Doom, it is known as the godfather of first-person shooters. It also spawned a series of sequels and knockoffs. Tom Hall, he left id Software and he actually worked with Apogee on the Rise of Triad, which was actually going to be a sequel to Wolfenstein 3D, but it turned not to be Rise of the Triad. The first official sequel to Wolfenstein is Return to Castle Wolfenstein, which was released uh, in November of 2001. And then a sequel in 2009 was released to that, 
just called Wolfenstein. This sequel uh, was in 2009 was the last game that id Software oversaw as an independent developer as it was acquired by ZeniMax Media in June of 2009, which then ZeniMax Media is the same people who own Bethesda who are now owned by Microsoft. So now Microsoft is in charge of Wolfenstein. With the acquisition of id Software by ZeniMax, Wolfenstein was then relaunched again in 2014 with the game called Wolfenstein The New Order, which is a really good game, and its sequel, Wolfenstein 2 The New Colossus. These games follow the original character of B.J. Blazkowicz in this alternative timeline future where the Nazis won. The most recent title, Youngblood, is a co-op adventure that features Blazkowicz's children as they search for their father in a dystopian 1980s Europe. I really enjoy. I really enjoyed Wolfenstein: The New Order. Yeah. Um, I played a good portion of Wolfenstein: To the New Colossus, but Wolfenstein: The New Order was fun because I played it back probably around 2014, 2015 ish. Started playing it. Probably played like 10 hours of it, maybe 12 hours. Then something big came out or something, and I stopped playing it to play the new big game that came out. I don't know what came out, but something did. And I got distracted. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I was like, I never beat Wolfenstein. (laughs) So then I booted it up and played it and was like, I was really impressed. I was like, why did I not beat this game before? This is a really good game. So I've since beaten, yeah, I've since beaten Wolfenstein The New Order. It's a really good, successor to the Wolfenstein they they really took care of it like they really developed it right it is a little uh stealthy as well as blasty it's yeah. got a little bit of both elements in there which is fun and you can kind of play it however you want if you want to be Blasowitz blasting and just going and blasting everything uh you can do that uh, if you want to be kind of stealthy and uh, play it kind of like it's very similar to Dishonored gameplay. Oh, yeah, play. yeah, yeah. That type of like either you can do stealth or go loud, essentially. They're great games. It's it's a little Wolfenstein is weird straight up like BJ Blazowitz reminds me of a lot of uh, Duke Nukem when it comes to how he is and also the kind of ridiculousness that he can go through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there are some things that happen in Wolfenstein which are a little weird and not realistic especially in the sequel <laughs> yeah is the sequel the one where you, yeah, you get oh that's the yeah. sequel yes. yeah yeah okay. <laughs> it's so stupid but I, love I was it. so confused I thought so the first one's a little more grounded in reality the second one definitely is uh is a little it gets a little silly I do like in the second one though the new Colossus has so their main character your main characters are are um in this stolen nazi airship that kind of is like the avengers airship but nazi themed and there is an arcade cabinet in the mess hall and that arcade cabinet is a game called wolfstone 3d where you play as a captured ss soldier in an allied fortress and you have to go through it's it's wolfenstein 3d but reversed it's wolfenstein 3d for the nazi universe and it's it's probably like the closest we'll get to like at this time like having wolfenstein 3d on the ps4 because they haven't ported wolfenstein 3d over yet but new colossus is available on on the ps4 so you can play the complete version of wolfenstein 3d with everything swapped to be you on the nazi side before we close on wolfenstein I do really like 
the uh, the cover and the level layout. I think it's very iconic Wolfenstein. So the cover to Wolfenstein 3D has uh, Wolfenstein 3D written in like a, like a gothic font with white and red kind of gradients mm. and has BJ Blatzowitz against a wall holding a pistol looking angrily at this like unsuspecting brown shirt Nazi walking towards him and it's all very blue walls <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> the walls are like a deep deep dark blue and it's just it's it's fun it's just like a it's just a great but it, bj blasswitz also looks like he's wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt yeah he, he does <laughs> he looks like he's out for a jog <laughs> yeah he looks like um he almost looks like tim allen from the santa claus like when he goes to the office the right after he kills santa comes running in it's, it looks just like that and then i'm just like looking at screenshots and I just I think it's funny that Mecha Hitler that you fight looks like his head's in like a uh, Futurama like fishbowl. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, so that's gonna be our Wolfenstein episode. And if you're from Germany, which I know we do have some German listeners, we're sorry. We're sorry for our horrible pronunciations. Also, hopefully this episode doesn't get banned. <laughs> that's gonna be our Wolfenstein episode. As always, we we may eventually come back and revisit. Well, yeah, we might, who knows, we might talk about Return to Castle Wolfenstein, as that is an older game. It's also our father's current favorite game. So um, maybe next time he comes on, he can talk about his time playing Return to Castle Wolfenstein. Also, who knows, maybe someday I'll stream the original Wolfenstein for the Apple II. Or you can stream uh, Three Mile Island. Or I could stream Three Mile Island. Ooh, I need to, I might get my Apple II running this weekend and make a couple of, uh, couple of nice boots all right so that's it hopefully you all enjoyed our wolfenstein episode uh we're gonna move on to our byway pass segment so uh zach why don't you let us know what you are excited about buying waiting or passing on yeah so the the game that i'm really excited for is resident evil village which is a sequel coming up to resident evil 7 uh now the the name resident evil village is kind of stylized if you look at it on on a poster or something so in in the word village the letters v i l l are highlighted in a different color than the rest of the word because this is resident evil 8 they're being creative with the artwork so it's resident evil 8 village but they they put the roman numeric 8 within the actual word village resident evil village is going to be a sequel to resident evil 7 uh the game supposedly is supposed to take place a few years after the events of the first game and like resident evil 7 it's going to be a first person horror game so resident evil 7 was a departure from the original resident evil games which were all third person games uh it was the first kind of departure in the regards of really changing up the gameplay dramatically at least since like resident evil 4 so in 7 they switched to a first person perspective and made it kind of more focused on the horror versus the action and it looks like village is a return to that form so it looks very spooky i do want to pick it up so i, I do want to put it on as a buy but it, it's going to be more of a wait for me because Resident Evil Village is currently only announced for next-gen consoles, and I would need a next-gen console to play it, or probably a better computer, because it looks like it's going to be a very graphically intensive game. 
So we will see. So at this time, it's going to be a wait just in regards of necessity of wait. Um, but it's it's due out in 2021. Ooh, fun. Yeah, These now we could say things are coming out in 2021 and it'll be the year that is appropriate because that is. this is the new year. I do like the V-I-L-L. They, they kind of did that with um, with Seven as well um, as, as the name Resident Evil 7 was actually called Resident Evil Biohazard and the V i l in evil was stylized fun fact about resident evil seth the name in japan for the resident evil franchise is biohazard right it was changed to resident evil when it came over to america resident evil 7 here in america is called resident evil biohazard in japan the game is called biohazard resident evil fun yeah i like that uh so the game that i have for my byway pass is a very exciting game called gas station simulator it's a game that's being uh, developed for Q1 of 2021 by a company called Drago Entertainment. Uh, Drago works is working on a number of simulator games, including Gas Station Simulator, and also including Airport Contraband. I think you either attempt to find Airport Contraband or attempt to smuggle Airport Contraband through. It also is working on other type of simulators, such as Food Truck Simulator, Winter Survival Simulator, and uh, Detective Simulator, and even Paparazzi Simulator. It looks like a fun series of games done by this um, indie developer who has been developing games since 98. Nice. And the premise around Gas Station Simulator is you buy an abandoned gas station and your goal is to restore it to its former glory. I don't know what glory a gas station (laughs) ever has. I never am like, ah, yes, gas stations. They are full of glory. So you get by this old junky gas station and you you try to make it into a business. It involves renovating, upgrading, and expanding on any offered services. You know, filling a car full of gas. Maybe have a little convenience store. Gas Station Simulator looks like a lot of fun. A bunch of these Drago games look really cool in theory. So I think I'm going to put it down as a wait. And when these Drago games start to release, maybe I'll buy a few and see how they are. And maybe I'll, I'll talk about them because they look fun in concept. You should do just that. But as we all know, concept never, sometimes doesn't lead to execution. That's true. That's true. Sometimes a game can have a really good concept and be a very bad game. That's true. Sometimes a game can have a really bad concept and be a really good game. That's true. That's true. Well, anyway, sometimes a podcast can have really good concept and be a really bad podcast that's true speaking of which uh do we want to end this podcast we do seth do you want me to tell you how you can contact us listen to us and support us do you want me to tell you or do you 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 want to tell me i'm going to tell you do you want do you want me to though absolutely i'll take a nap all right so here is the deal let's say you want to contact us listen to us and support us there are plenty of ways you can do that so first off if you want to contact us you can go to your email and you can email classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com or seth at classicgamingbrothers.com or zach at classicgamingbrothers.com or info at classicgamingbrothers.com they all go to the same inbox so either one of those would work just fine for me so send us an email and you'll be entered immediately into a chance to win a free video game off a Seth's list of video games or also to win a voice message or voice mailbox message for your home answering machine 
uh, from our announcer from our Christmas episode, and he'll be very excited to record that for you. Next up, if you want to contact us, there's also through our website. If you go to ClassicGamingBrothers.com, you can visit our contact form on the website where you can fill out that contact form, put in all your information, and then contact us. Spoiler alert, it goes uh, to our inbox our gmail so seth will read it and we'll get back to you but you still get entered into the chance to win a free video game or that voice message on your home answering machine uh that is how you can contact us to listen to us we are available on pretty much all the podcasting apps and you're probably listening to us on one of those apps right now but let's say you want to let your friends know that they can listen to us well that's awesome because that's supporting us and if you do that you can tell them that we're on the big three and that means spotify itunes and iHeartRadio. Um, we're also available on any other application like Stitcher or CastBox or anything that's kind of like an aggregate like that. So next up, uh, if you want to support us, you can follow us on all of our social medias. We have a Facebook, we have an Instagram, and we have a Twitter. We have a Twitter. We have a Facebook, we have an Instagram, and we have a Twitter. The Facebook and Instagram are Classic Gaming Brothers. The Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Be sure to follow us, like us, and ring bells, etc., etc. on all those. We also have a Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Classic Gaming Brothers. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Classic Gaming Brothers. We have tons of stuff. It's all great. Pretty much just plug in Classic Gaming Brothers into the item of your choosing will probably show up there that's not true be sure to follow us on all the social medias those are all great ways to uh get in touch with us or and also to support us now if you really want to support us the best thing you can do is by listening to our podcast which you're doing right now so great job and thank you for supporting us but another thing you can do is you can tell three friends let your friends know that you really like this podcast you want other people to listen to this podcast because if you let other people know that you're you want them to listen to this podcast then they will listen to this podcast and thus you are supporting us look at that that's how it works now also you can go to our store you don't have to but we do have some merchandise available on our store and seth promises this year that he will put up some more merchandise we will see but he said he would and i'm gonna hold seth to that that is how you can contact us listen to us and support us and i'm pretty sure that's the end of this podcast because i can't think of anything else unless seth can don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we have been the classic gaming brothers that's right i think the best thing that i learned in this episode was that there is a video game reenacting three mile island yeah That'll be our next episode. No, no, it won't. <laughs> no, no, it won't. Our, our next episode is going to be even more exciting than that. Yeah.